Sandman Stories presents The Panchatantra, Book 1, The Loss of Friends. The name of the book is The Loss of Friends, and it takes place as stories within a story. So the overarching story is of a couple of jackals who notice that the king lion is afraid and try to make their move to become more powerful. So within that dynamic, there are many shorter stories. So today's is The Loss of Friends, and I will read more as the book goes on. Okay, let's begin. Book One, The Loss of Friends. Here then begins Book One, called The Loss of Friends. The first verse runs, The forest lion and the bull were linked in friendship, growing full. A jackal then estranged the friends for greedy and malicious ends. And this is how it happened. In the southern country was a city called Maiden's Delight. It rivaled the city of Heaven's King, so abounding in every urban excellence as to form the central jewel of the Earth's diadem. Its contour was like that of Kailasa Peak. Its gates and palaces were stocked with machines, missile weapons, and chariots in great variety. In its central portal, massive as Indrakila Mountain, was fitted with bolt and bar, panel and arch, all formidable, impressive, solid. Its numerous temples lifted their firm bulk near spacious squares and crossings. It wore a moat-girdled zone of walls that recalled the high-uplifted Himalayas. In this city lived a merchant named Increase. He possessed a heap of numerous virtues and a heap of money, a result of the accumulation of merit in earlier lives. As he once pondered in the dead of night, his conclusions took this form. Even an abundant store of wealth, if pecked at, sinks together like a pile of soot. A very little, if added to, grows like an anthill. Hence, even though money be abundant, it should be increased. Riches unearned should be earned. What is earned should be guarded. What is guarded should be enlarged and heedfully invested. Money, even if hoarded in commonplace fashion, is likely to go in a flash the hindrances being many. Money unemployed, when opportunities arise, is the same as money unpossessed. Therefore, money once acquired should be guarded, increased, employed. As the proverb says, release the money you have earned, so keep it safely still. The surplus water of a tank must find a way to spill. Wild elephants are caught by tame, with capital it is the same. In business beggars have no scope, whose stock in trade is empty hope. If any fail to use his fate, for joy in this or future state, his riches serve as foolish fetters. He simply keeps them for his betters. Having thus set his mind in order, he collected merchandise bound for the city of Mathura, assembled his servants, and after saying farewell to his parents, when asterism and lunar station were auspicious, set forth from the city, with his people following, and with blare of conch shell and beat of drum proceeding. At the first water, he bade his friends turn back while he proceeded. To bear the yoke, he had two bulls of good omen. Their names were joyful and lively. They looked like white clouds, and their chests were girded with golden bells. Presently, he reached a forest lovely with grisalias, acacias, docks, and sals, densely planted with other trees of charming aspect fearsome with elephants, wild oxen, buffaloes, deer, grunting cows, boars, tigers, leopards, and bears, abounding in water that issued from the flanks of mountains, rich in caves and thickets. 
Here the bull lively was overcome, partly by the excessive weight of the wagon, partly because one foot sank helplessly where far-flung water from cascades made a muddy spot. At this spot, the bull somehow snapped the yoke and sank in a heap. When the driver saw that he was down, he jumped excitedly from the wagon, ran to the merchant not far away, and humbly bowing said, Oh my lord, Lively was wearied by the trip and sank in the mud. On hearing this, Merchant Increase was deeply dejected. He halted for five nights, but when the poor bull did not return to health, he left caretakers with the supply of fodder and said, You must join me later, bringing Lively if he lives, if he dies, after performing the last sad rites. Having given these directions, he started for his destination. On the next day, the men, fearing the many drawbacks of the forest, started also and made a false report to their master. Poor Lively died, they said, and we performed the last sad rites with fire and everything else. And the merchant, feeling grieved for a mere moment, out of gratitude performed a ceremony that included rites for the departed, then journeyed without hindrance to Mathura. In the meantime, Lively, since his fate willed it and further life was predestined, hobbled step by step to the bank of the Jumna, his body invigorated by the mist of spray from the Cascades. There he browsed on the emerald tips of grass blades, and in a few days grew plump as Shiva's bull, high-humped and full of energy. Every day he tore the tops of anthills with goring horns, and frisked like an elephant. But one day, a lion named Rusty, with a retinue of all kinds of animals, came down to the bank of the Jumna for water. There he heard Lively's prodigious bellow. The sound troubled his heart exceedingly, but he concealed his inner feelings, while beneath a spreading banyan tree, he drew up his company in what is called the Circle of Four. Now the divisions of the Circle of Four are given as 1. The Lion 2. The Lion's Guard 3. The Understrappers 4. The Menials in all cities, capitals, towns, hamlets, market centers, settlements, border posts, land grants, monasteries, and communities, there is just one occupant of the lion's post. Relatively few are active as the lion's guard. The understrappers are the indiscriminate throng. The menials are posted on the outskirts. The three classes are each divided into members high, middle, and low. Now Rusty, with counselors and intimates, enjoyed a kingship of the following order. His royal office, though lacking the pomp of umbrella, fly-flap, fan, vehicle, and amorous display, was held erect by sheer pride in the sentiment of unaffected pluck. It showed unbroken haughtiness and abounding self-esteem. It manifested a native zeal for unchecked power that brooked no rival. It was ignorant of cringing speech, which it delegated to those who liked that sort of thing. It functioned by means of impatience, wrath, haste, and hauteur. Its mainly goal was fearlessness, disdaining fawning, strange to obsequiousness, unalarmed. It made use of no wheedling artifices, but glittered in its reliance on enterprise, valor, dignity. It was independent, unattached, free from selfish worry. It advertised the rewards of manliness by its pleasure in benefiting others. It was unconquered, free from constraint and meanness, while it had no thought of elaborating defensive works. It kept no account of revenue and expenditure. It knew no deviousness nor time-serving, but was prickly with the energy earned by loftiness of spirit. 
it wasted no deliberation on the conventional six expedients, nor did it hoard weapons or jewelry. It had an uncommon appetite for power, never adopted subterfuges, and was never an object of suspicion. It paid no heed to wives or ambush layers, to their torrents of tears or their squeals. It was without reproach. It had no artificial training in the use of weapons, but it did not disappoint expectations. It found satisfactory food and shelter without dependence on servants. It had no timidity about any foreign forest and no alarms. Its head was high, as the proverb says, the lion needs in forest station, no trappings and no education, but lonely power and pride. And all the song his subjects sing is in the words, O king, O king, no epithet beside. And again, the lion needs for his appointing, no ceremony, no anointing. His deeds of heroism bring him fortune, nature crowns him king. The elephant is the lion's meat, with drops of trickling ichor sweet. Through lack thereof should come to pass, the lion does not nibble grass. Now Rusty had in his train two jackals, sons of counselors, but out of a job. Their names were Cheek and Victor. These two conferred secretly, and Victor said, My dear Cheek, just look at our master Rusty. He came this way for water. For what reason does he crouch here so disconsolate? Why meddle, my dear fellow, said Cheek. There is a saying, death pursues the meddling flunky. Note the wedge-extracting monkey. How was that? asked Victor. And Cheek told the story of the wedge-pulling monkey. Stay tuned for the next episode, The Wedge-Pulling Monkey.